Human rights are women's rights. Change the world. <laughs> Welcome to Global Dispatches. This is Mark Leon Goldberg, your host, and I am pleased to have on the program today Jacob Zen. Jacob is with the Jamestown Foundation, which is a research outfit focusing on terrorism issues, and Jacob specializes in Boko Haram and terrorism in North Africa. You'll learn a lot from this conversation. I know I did. Uh, We talk about the background of Boko Haram, where they come from, what they want, uh, what the Nigerian government and the international community can do to counter them, uh, and also why they are particularly focused on attacking schools and students. Uh, So here it is, my conversation with Jacob Zen. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. You've followed Boko Haram for a long time, and I'm just trying to get a sense of, I guess, who these people are. I mean, they've been responsible for a series of audacious attacks in recent years. Um, but but where, where does this group come from? What, what's their agenda? And, and, you know, who are these people? Boko Haram is based in northeastern Nigeria, and most of the leaders have been ethnic Kanoris. Traditionally, when they started and when they were most active as a preaching group from 2002 to 2009, they were focused on seeking an Islamic state and eliminating government influence and preaching against association with Christians and English language and Western education. But after 2009, when the government cracked down on them, probably because they were becoming too widespread in northeastern Nigeria and neighboring countries, Boko Haram then turned into a jihadist group. And they were able to do that so quickly because even while they were a preaching group from 2002 to 2009, Many of their members were engaging in militant training in the Sahel with various al-Qaeda factions, as well as in Afghanistan. So when they became a militant group in 2010, they rapidly launched attacks at a very high level. So I guess prior to 2009, though, they, you know, I, I guess is it fair to categorize them as sort of having some militants in them, but not necessarily being a militant group. But after uh, 2010 their militancy sort of became the defining sort of feature of Boko Haram? Right. I believe that they were prepared for what would be an inevitable clash with the government at some point. And that's why at first they were engaging in preaching and recruitment and getting funding from other Islamist groups in Africa and Saudi Arabia and even Europe. And then when that clash happened and the inevitable occurred, as prophesized by the Boko Haram founder, they were able to immediately uh, rile up their trained militants and start launching attacks. 
And what did those attacks look like early on, and how have they changed their tactics over time? Early on in 2010, their attacks largely involved assassinations of political figures that were running for the election in 2011, as well as Muslim leaders who did not espouse Boko Haram's version of Taliban-style Salafism. They also carried out attacks initially on beer halls and other recreation sites. The attacks that they carried out early on in Abuja in 2011 on the UN headquarters and federal police headquarters were claimed by Boko Haram, but actually they were carried out by Nigerians who trained with al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, and that later became part of the Boko Haram faction called Ansaru. Boko Haram, as we know it, the group that was based in northeastern Nigeria, gradually started carrying out massacres of civilians in 2012 and 2013, and especially 2014 now. And in 2014, since many Nigerians who fought in Mali returned to northeastern Nigeria, have a lot of skills, they've now taken on attacking Nigerian military barracks, uh, breaking into prisons and rescuing their members, attacking Maidukuri Air Base, very sophisticated attacks. So you're saying that that sort of part of the reason we're seeing these um, more sophisticated, more audacious attacks is because the a lot of sort of the members had cut their teeth in the Mali insurgency, but the Mali insurgency having been defeated, uh, you know, by a combination of French and international forces, saw the return of these jihadis to Nigeria? Right. It, it is important to note that in January 2012 and November 2011, before the Mali situation became what it was, Boko Haram already demonstrated in cities like Kano and Damatru Yobe state that it could carry out very complex, sophisticated attacks with hundreds of members. But it was only after the Mali intervention in February 2013 that you started seeing desert warfare tactics from Mali and Arabic speakers coming to northeastern Nigeria and carrying out more brazen attacks on military barracks rather than simply urban centers. And yes, I am suggesting there's been couriers and trainings and messaging between militants in Mali, particularly dozens of Nigerians who are there, and the Boko Haram members who are based in northeastern Nigeria. So how would you characterize the Nigerian government's response to this so far? The Nigerian government is unable to tackle the Boko Haram insurgency, first because Boko Haram is getting weapons from northern Cameroon, using northern Cameroon as a base, recruiting in northern Cameroon, also using parts of Niger as bases, let alone its connections to militants in Mali, the Sahel, Somalia, and elsewhere. So anything that Nigeria does to counter Boko Haram militarily within the country is pretty much useless, so long as Boko Haram has its bases outside of the country. On the ideological level and propaganda level, the Nigerian government struggles because the government continues to be corrupt and doesn't clean its house, and because one of the reasons for existence of Boko Haram was to, so to speak, claim that it would create a pure Islamic state, 
the only way the Nigerian government can counter that would be by having a efficient running government. But so far, the Nigerian government is not efficient. Does Boko Haram enjoy a degree of popular support? Is there a constituency that backs them or supports them in any relevant way? In fact, there's very little evidence to suggest that Boko Haram has a, a strong base of support in northeastern Nigeria. You haven't seen villages come up and say, we are with Boko Haram. But it has been able to lure enough recruits from its, ex- from its pre-existing membership before 2009, when it was popular, and leverage those recruits to become militants today, possibly militant leaders. And it has used its financing to sort of purchase young, unemployed, uneducated individuals to join its insurgent movement. And now it likely has 3,000 members, maybe more, and some very well-trained members with international experience who are able to continue to cultivate this insurgency. Moreover, the looting that goes on when Boko Haram raids cities is a monetary compensation for its members. And Boko Haram is able to justify these massacres and lootings on a religious grounds, so people don't even need to feel bad about the fact that they're stealing and killing from people. So is through looting and stealing mostly how Boko Haram finances itself? Since right now it doesn't appear that it's connected to international funding streams because it's underground, and some politicians who used to be associated with it are now not as associated with it, most of its funding comes locally. But these massacres of cities and towns can get several thousand dollars. Robbing banks can get several tens of thousand dollars. But it's gotten millions and millions of dollars from kidnappings. It got more than three million when it released a seven-member French family last year. Al-Qaeda in Islamic Maghreb got 28 million for releasing four Frenchmen several months ago. And because Boko Haram, its offshoot Ansaru and Al-Qaeda in Islamic Maghreb are in similar networks, those millions of dollars get shared throughout weapons, trainings, recruitment, and so forth. So I have to imagine it's quite well funded. What strategies sort of might the Nigerian government or the international community employ to uh, reduce the threat from Boko Haram to sort of take the wind out of their sails? or just sort of defeat them, or, it, or does sort of defeating Boko Haram require, uh, you, know, def, you know, killing the bad guys? The most successful tactic in terms of counterinsurgency has been to go after the highest level members. When they have succeeded in eliminating the leaders of cells or the leaders of cell networks, it's led to a decrease in attacks, particularly in the Middle Belt region. So what they should do is target the very high-level members. And when you kill 10 or 15 of the foot soldiers, it doesn't really break the insurgency because they're replaceable and they all have tons of brothers and sisters and it ends up riling up their families and clans and then it can even lead to more recruits. On another level, there needs to be a sub-regional strategy. But Nigeria's neighbors are pretty tentative to do that, because if they cooperate with Nigeria, then Boko Haram will attack them, and Boko Haram has threatened Cameroon a number of times on that note. But France might be able to come in and unite some of the French-speaking countries of the sub-region, and and there is a role for the U.S. as as a continental leader in that as well. 
And and lastly, why do you think Boko Haram sort of seems to be attacking uh, students? there was an attack. There have been, I think, a, a couple of attacks on schools, on, on colleges and universities, you know, pretty, pretty ter- terrific massacres. And then, of course, this uh, attack, uh, this kidnapping of hundreds of schoolgirls. Uh, what do you think motivated that sort of attack in, in particular? The attacks on schools go right to the heart of Boko Haram's ideology and recruiting because Boko Haram's leaders believe that if you are educated in English – and you learn the Pledge of Allegiance to the Nigerian flag, and you study math, and you don't study first and foremost Arabic and the Quran and Salafism, then you will grow up with a pro-Western democratic orientation. And Boko Haram is trying to overthrow that Western democratic secular orientation that is the Nigerian state and create a state based on the Taliban-style Salafism. So by killing students, burning their schools, and kidnapping the students, they will be able to deter parents from sending their kids to such schools. And then the only schools where students would attend would be Boko Haram-approved schools. And then those schools would become like Boko Haram recruitment centers. So this is perhaps their strategy. The name Boko Haram also translates to something like Western education is forbidden, correct? Right, although the name Boko Haram is not Boko Haram's own given name. It calls itself Jamatu Ahli Sunni Dawati Wal Jihad, which means the people for propagating the teachings of the Prophet and Jihad. Boko which Haram means, sort of rolls off the tongue a little better, I think. Boko Haram is a little easier for us to say, but it really is not the group's name. But it does mean Western education is forbidden, and people call it that because that is what it used to be saying. Um, so I guess going forward, I, what do you think we can expect, um, you know, in, in the sort of, you know, months and years to come? Well, so far there's no sign of a curb in Boko Haram violence in Borno State or in northeastern Nigeria. It's only escalated every year. So there's no foreseeing that it will be reduced in the northeast. The elections in 2015 will be a decisive turning point if they can be carried out peacefully and there won't be post-election or pre-election violence and the vote will be considered legitimate regardless of who wins. This will be a victory for the Nigerian state and the Nigerian people. If Boko Haram is able to upset the elections and throw the country into chaos, it will certainly be a victory from Boko Haram. So in the short term, the election of February 2015 is the next key hurdle to cross. And then after that, we will see if Nigeria can hold a good election and then start developing a new strategy to combat Boko Haram and end the divisions within the country unrelated to Boko Haram, as well as those that Boko Haram is in flaring. Uh, Well, Jacob, thank you so much for your time and and for your insights. I appreciate it. This was uh, interesting and, and helpful. My pleasure. Thanks for your sharp questions as well. So thanks for listening. This was a special sneak preview of the soon-to-be-relaunched Global Dispatches podcast. I'm going to have uh, an interview, a long interview a week with some sort of policy newsmaker type, uh, someone you've probably heard of if you're in the uh, foreign policy space. Uh, And the other interview will be something more like this, something a little more topical uh, with an issue area expert trying to pick their brains and uh, learn myself and, and hopefully help you understand some of the big issues, events, and ideas 
ideas that are happening in the world today. So download it on iTunes, check it out on UN Dispatch, and I will see you next time. 